From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. As always for inviting me into your home and that space between your ears. Hope you had a very Merry Christmas and I wish you all a blessed, a peaceful, healthy and a prosperous 2015. And uh, just before I wandered down to the studio here, I stopped into the, uh, the mail room and uh, just wanted to uh, give a shout out. I got a lot of mail to go through and I'm just catching up. But uh, a lovely Christmas card here from uh, Jackie Cranston in uh, Toronto. We'll just hold that up to the uh, the webcam. We're doing another Hangout on Air, incidentally. If you want to... Uh, can you see that? If you want to go to the... Uh, thank you, Jackie Cranston, for that. If you want to go to the, uh, the the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and the tweet right at the top, there's a link there. And if you click on that link, it'll take you to the, the live stream on YouTube. And you can... Uh, well, you can see my uh, mug. <laughs> uh, let's see. This is from... Who is this one from? It's a beautiful uh, Hanukkah card. And that is from, I believe it's an A.M. Jacob. A.M. Jacob in Etobicoke. Thank you for that. Happy Hanukkah. I know it's past, but uh, I only get into the studio about once a week. And then I got this lovely, uh, long, elaborate... Um, um, oh, uh, sorry. I, I also wanted to thank Jackie Cranston. She, uh, she included a little gift in an envelope that was uh, very generous and most unexpected. So Jackie Cranston, thanks uh, for that. And then I got this really nice, nifty uh, uh, information packet, I'll call it. Uh, nicely hand-typed, uh, or typed-written, rather, from Bonnie Grace Day in Branson, Missouri. And uh, the subject is Canaan and Corrupted Flesh. I love the mail that I get. Uh, anyway, I haven't had a chance to read that, but I shall. Uh, Bonnie Grace Day, thank you for that. And thank you all uh, who take the time to write, send cards. Uh, I always appreciate getting actual physical mail. It's... Uh, it's getting rare but these days, but uh, and I do appreciate your emails as well, but uh, I love getting mail. Uh, just a reminder, again, that tonight we're streaming live on YouTube and um, also wanted to plant a seed. You, uh, you, may, have, um, you may have been uh, t- uh, in attendance at our last Follow the Truth conference last month in November out in Oshawa. Well, again, want to plant a seed? Keep the evening of Sunday, April the 26th free. Uh, we're looking at uh, launching another Follow the Truth conference in Oshawa, same location at the Regent Theatre, and details to follow shortly in the new year. Just keep checking followthetruth.tv. That's the website, followthetruth.tv. Now, one of the topics that I had intended to tackle at uh, the conference in November, but it didn't happen, logistically it didn't happen, we were, we were hoping to bring a speaker in and talk about pyramids. And uh, I know a lot of people were excited. We were going to talk about pyramids, and then it didn't happen. And because of that, I started to get a lot of email asking, when am I going to do a show on pyramids on the radio, uh, specifically the, the pyramids at Giza in Egypt? Uh, well, I have to tell you, I, I certainly do pay attention to your emails. And uh, your wish is being granted tonight because we have one of the best. Um, let's call him an alternative Egyptologist, Egyptologist for you. Uh, his extensive research on the mysteries of the Giza pyramids and ancient Egypt, are world-renowned. And uh, he's always saying that we need to look outside the box of conventional Egyptology when we're studying monuments such as the Great Pyramid, rather than just seeing it as a tomb. Is there anyone who still believes the pyramids were intended as tombs? Uh, perhaps. Uh, but we'll certainly disabuse, of you, disabuse you of that tonight, I'm sure. Um, what if, in fact, the, uh, the site is in, in fact, some sort of invitation 
for the human race to start looking into a direction which scientists and Egyptologists in particular have felt very uncomfortable to look at. Robert Boval was born in Egypt in 1948, and in 1989 he published a study which proposed that the layout of the three Giza pyramids and their relative position to the Nile was intended to mirror the layout of the three stars in Orion's belt and their relative position in the Milky Way. That's right, the Orion correlation theory began with Robert Boval. And uh, it became the subject of his first book, The Orion Mystery. He's presently working on a new book, Sirius Rising, which will track the influence of the Egyptian star goddess Sirius from prehistoric times to the early Christian era, with special focus on her role in the rebirth cult and temple rituals and alignments. And uh, one of his more recent books uh, is entitled The Secret Chamber Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt. He joins us on the line from Spain tonight this morning, Robert. Welcome to The Conspiracy good. Show. How are you? Good morning. Uh, good evening for you. <laughs> yes, indeed. I appreciate you uh, getting up early uh, yeah, to, to join uh, us. 6 a.m. here. You know, I was um, going back uh, into the archives and, and uh, was reading a story uh, back in February of this year, Robert. Two German men were visiting uh, the Egyptian pyramids. Actually, uh, back in April. And in February of this year, they were... They were uh, charged criminally for their attempt to prove their alternative history, conspiracy theories they were called, through vandalism. Uh, Dominique Gorlitz and Stefan Erdmann, uh, they don't believe, uh, you know, the sort of the official line about, you know, who built the pyramids. Anyway, they sort of, they, they went into the, uh, uh, the inner chambers of the Great Pyramid at Giza and uh, they were charged with vandalism and so forth. But they're essentially, they're, they're trying to prove, uh, you know, that the mainstream Egyptology just is, is 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 a fabrication. Are you familiar with these two gentlemen, Gerlitz and Erdmann? Oh, Erdman? yes, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, in fact, I was speaking uh, just a few hours ago to Dominic Gerlitz. Ah. I'm in, uh, I'm in uh, constant contact with him. Uh, there's, a, there's a strange twist to the story. Um, you're absolutely right. They... Uh, have entered the Giza pyramids, uh, the, rather the Great Pyramids, in April last year, uh, to be precise, on the 17th of April. And uh, their intention, <coughs> excuse me, was to take some uh, samples from two areas, uh, one in the King's Chamber, the ceiling of the King's Chamber, uh, and the other from some graffito paint, uh, that is found in the so-called relief chambers. Uh, for the benefit of your uh, listeners who aren't so familiar with the pyramids, can I, can I explain a bit more about the pyramids? Yes, please. Okay, well, the pyramid, the Great Pyramid, has three chambers, one underground, uh, the subterranean chamber, and two chambers in the superstructure. Uh, one known as the Queen's Chamber, and the other, which is the topmost chamber, known as the King's Chamber. Now, the King's Chamber uh, has beams that form the ceiling. Uh, in fact, the whole King's Chamber is made of granite, huge granite blocks, perfectly cut, uh, some of them weighing up to 60, 70 tons. 
And one of the peculiarities about this, uh, this chamber is that the granite had to be shipped from Upper Egypt, uh, about 600 miles further south. So it's, it's, it's quite an extraordinary structure. But what is more impressive is the beams that form the ceiling. Uh, they're made, uh, they span about uh, six meters. Uh, they're made of these uh, solid granite uh, uh, blocks that weigh roughly about 80 tons. And no one knows how they were, <laughs> how they were shipped in the first place, how they were lifted up uh, the pyramid about f 50 meters, and how they were placed in position with such accuracy uh, without any uh, lifting devices or, uh, in fact, with just brutal force and, and sticks and ropes. Do we even have cranes today that could, that it could accomplish that? Well, as you may or may not know, I'm a construction engineer. And uh, my take is that if I was asked to do this job uh, today and was told not to use any machines, uh, or, or cranes or lifting uh, equipment, I wouldn't know how to do it. It's, it's one of those great, great mysteries. Uh, yes, we could construct cranes today, special cranes, but it would be one hell of a job to, to undertake this, this task. So it's very, very hard to see uh, how this was done in, uh, in conditions where there was no, uh, no lifting devices. Uh, in fact, there was nothing. They didn't have, even have iron tools. Uh, the wheel was, wasn't yet invented. So it's one of those great mysteries. But anyway, coming back to these Germans. Gerlitz and Erdmann. Uh, Gerlitz and Erdmann, yes. I, I don't know Erdmann personally. I've spoken to him a few times. But I know Gerlitz very, very well. And the reason I know him is because uh, when uh, the news broke out. Now, let me explain how, how this... How all this manifested itself in the media. Uh, these people entered the pyramid on the 17th of April 2013, but no one, no one knew what had happened until November. And the reason being is that uh, they had filmed all their activities within the pyramid and decided to put it on YouTube uh, sometime in early November. And, uh, of course, when this was on YouTube, uh, the Egyptian authorities uh, hit the ceiling and accused them of all sorts of things. Uh, vandalism, uh, criminal activity, and you name it. Right. Uh, but the reason I'm involved is this. Now, I happened to be in Italy at the time giving a lecture in Trieste uh, with, a, with a fellow Egyptologist, David Roll, when the news broke out. Uh, when I returned uh, to, to where I live, I live in Spain, by the way, uh, a friend of mine called me from Egypt and said, uh, have you seen the, the, the local newspapers? And I said, no, you know, I don't get the Egyptian newspapers here. So he sent me the link, and uh, are you ready for this? There was uh, our famous uh, ex-minister of antiquities, Zahi Hawass. I'm sure you've heard of Oh, him. yes. <laughs> yes, yes. The man with the hat. <laughs> and uh, there was a banner title saying, uh, Belgian Jew, referring to me, uh, Robert Boval, uh, has paid Germans to steal the cartouche of King Khufu, 
uh, of the Great Pyramid for the benefit of the Jews. Oh, yeah. So I thought, what the heck is this? And, uh, of course, uh, I wanted to know what these Germans had done. So here comes, by the way, the use of Facebook. So I put a message on my Facebook. I've got 5,000 uh, friends and followers on it. Uh, and uh, called uh, openly to the Germans to make contact with me. And one of them did, which is Dominic Gorlitz. He was in New York at the time. He had no idea what had happened. And uh, I said, well, what's all this? I mean, uh, I've been accused to paying you guys uh, for stealing the cartouche of King Hufu. Uh, I should explain what is this cartouche, by the way. Yes, well, why don't we take a time out, Robert, and we'll do that. This, the, the cartouche identifying Khufu as the creator of the Great Pyramids, but the, uh, the men in question, Gerlitz and Erdman, contend uh, that uh, Khufu is not the creator of the Great Pyramids, and we'll find out who Robert Boval believes uh, were the creators of the Great Pyramids. Secret Chamber Revisited, the quest for the lost knowledge of ancient Egypt with renowned alternative Egyptologist Robert Woval right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Wow, what a pleasure to have Robert Boval on the program live from Spain. And we are talking about uh, Egypt, ancient Egyptian mysteries and uh, his latest book, Secret Chamber Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt. Egypt. We were talking about these two uh, German individuals who were charged, criminally charged in uh, Egypt earlier this year with vandalism after they uh, broke into, uh, supposedly, one of the inner ch chambers. Uh, the uh, allegation is or, that they were vandalizing, but they claim they were si simply uh, attempting to disprove the... Uh, the official Egyptian line that Khufu um, was the creator of the uh, the Giza pyramids. Now, the you mentioned this cartouche, which is essentially a nameplate, is it not? Yes. Uh, let me explain where this cartouche is. Um, above the king's chamber, there are five so-called relief chambers, uh, also made of granite. They're very low. Now, these chambers, these so-called relief chambers, were not known to exist until 1837. They were discovered by a British explorer, uh, Colonel Howard Weiss, and he used gunpowder in order to break into these chambers. Uh, it's almost impossible with, uh, very, with, uh, with, uh, with uh, simple tools. Of course, with drills today, we, we can do it, but... With simple tools, it's almost impossible to break through this granite. So anyway, he broke through the, the, these five rooms with gunpowder. And here is uh, the, the interesting thing. Uh, the Great Pyramid, until then, was thought to be totally devoid of any inscriptions. One of the great mysteries of the, the, the Great Pyramid, apart from its size and its alignments and so forth, is that it does not contain any inscriptions. It's totally bare of any writings. However, in those relief chambers, they found graffiti. Uh, Egyptologists call it quarry marks, painted in red ochre paint. And on the topmost of this chamber, by the way, these chambers were given very bizarre names by the uh, discoverer. 
They were given English names uh, of important uh, people in England. One of them is called Wellington Chamber, the other one Nelson, and so forth. They're still called by these names, which is rather bizarre. But the last chamber, the topmost chamber, known as Campbell's Chamber, is rather interesting. It has a pitched roof, so you can actually stand in it. The others are very, very low. And on the corner, on one of the corners of this room, to be precise, on the southwest corner, there is this famous cartouche. Now, a cartouche is an oval-shaped design. Uh, the reason it's called a cartouche is because the French, uh, during the Napoleonic uh, ex um, explorations in Egypt, uh, saw these strange signs that you see all over Egypt uh, in, in ancient temples uh, that they resembled a cartridge, cartouche in French, and inside this cartouche is the name of kings. In this particular one, in, in, the, in Campbell's room, is the name of King Khufu. Khufu, or Cheops, as is known in, in this Greek form, was believed to be the builder of the Great Pyramid. So this, uh, this, this cartouche is the holy grail, if you like, of pyramid exploration. It, uh, it convinced Egyptologists that, in fact, King Khufu was the builder of the Great Pyramid. It's the, it's the holy grail, if you like, of, uh, of Egyptian pyramid exploration. But that so could have been placed. important that, it is. But that could have been placed there at any point, that cartouche. Well, it couldn't have been placed before 1837 because this chamber was totally sealed. You couldn't, you couldn't get into this chamber. Correct, but it could have been placed there a thousand years after the pyramids were built, for all we know. Uh, no, no, no. The, the chambers were actually sealed when the pyramid was constructed. So there's no way anybody okay. could have entered there. But, but there's been suggestions uh, for the last 20 years that Howard Weiss himself may have uh, forged this, this, this cartouche. Ah, okay. And the reason being is that uh, he had found nothing in the pyramid. He had spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and uh, the accusation is that he might have forged it in order to, uh, to, to become famous. Uh, there is only one way that one can find out whether this cartouche is from the builders of the pyramid themselves or it is a forgery. And the only way to do it is to carbon date it. Now, here is the problem. You can't carbon date the paint that they use because it's red ochre paint. It's from a, a natural ferrous dust that you find in the desert that turns red when you mix it with water. And it, it does not contain any organic material. Ah. But it has been proposed many, many years ago, by the way, that they might have used resin, organic resin, to stick this paint uh, on the walls. So if that's the case, you can, yes, carbon date uh, organic resin. Now, the strange thing is that Egyptologists, since the discovery of, this, uh, of these chambers in 1837, and until these Germans went inside the pyramid last year, haven't even bothered to test this cartouche and prove it once and for all whether it's a forgery or not. And finally, finally, these Germans took it upon themselves to do it. Now, let me explain. Uh, 
they, they're really very not biased one way or the other. The, one of them is a scientist, uh, Gorlitz, uh, Dominic Gorlitz is a scientist, and a rather interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, Richard, the uh, Swedish explorer, Thor Heyerdahl? Yes. Who tried to, to cross the Atlantic and the Pacific with the primitive boats? Right, yes. Well, Thor Heyerdahl uh, died uh, in 2006, if I, uh, if I recall, and he passed on his research to Dominic Goritz. Goritz is the successor of Thor Heyerdahl. His main interest is ancient navigation. Uh, the other, Stefan Erdman, is a writer, an author, who writes about pyramids and other mysteries. And uh, Stefan convinced Gorlitz that, uh, well, why, why not go and test this, uh, this, this, uh, this cartouche? Now, let me say this, because it's very important uh, because of the court case that's been going on. They did have a permit, a, a permit to enter the pyramid. Uh, it may sound very strange to your, to your listeners in Canada, but you can actually rent out the pyramid before opening hours or closing hours. You can rent it out for two hours for a private visit. Ah, interesting. Same way you rent a car or, sure. or, or rent an hotel room. Right. It, to, to me, it's very bizarre, but anyway, you can still do this. And uh, for those who are interested, by the way, the cost is approximately $1,000 for either one person or 25 people. So it, it, it's been entered many, many times over the last 30 years since they've allowed these private visits. Uh, God knows how many people did this, I think, on a daily basis. So they did have a permit. They even had asked for a ladder because you can't access this relief chambers without a ladder. Uh, the, the entrance to these relief chambers is at the top of the Grand Gallery. There is, a, there is a huge gallery leading to the King's Chamber inside the pyramid. And you have to have a ladder to climb at the top of this Grand Gallery. It's about eight meters high Right. Uh, in order to enter. So, so they rented it, they had permission, so they're being railroaded is what you're saying. Not only, yes, not only they had permission and they asked for a ladder, but they were actually supervised. There were five Egyptians with them, uh, three of them inspectors and two security guards. They were even assisted with putting the ladder and moving the ladder about and so forth. And furthermore, uh, many years before, uh, Stefan Erdman, who had been going to the pyramid for the last 30 years, had got permission from Zahi Hawass, uh, to not just enter the pyramid and, and visit those chambers, but he had also taken samples, or minor samples, of uh, bits of uh, rocks and, and, and dust in order to test this several times. So these people had no idea that they would be accused of a criminal act uh, for doing this. Because fact, they, they crossed the line, them. right? Because they tried to, they tried to upset official uh, orthodoxy in terms of Egyptology and challenged the notion that, as you have done, that, that Khufu was not the creator of the Giza pyramids. Well, there is, the test would have proved one way or the other whether this, was a, this uh, cartouche, this famous cartouche, was a forgery or not. But let me tell you the funny twist about this, is that, in fact, they did not take samples of the cartouche itself. They took samples. There is a, there's a lot of graffiti in these rooms. There's a, not just this cartouche. 
they took samples of an adjacent graffiti. Uh, they didn't want to damage the cartouche itself. That's the reason. Now, you're not going to believe this, but when we, um, when I made contact with uh, David Gorlitz uh, a few weeks after this uh, this news broke out in in, in December last year, he uh, first of all told me, "Listen, we did not touch the cartouche." And I said, well, listen, that's the accusation they're making. They even said, you stole it. So he sent me pictures and so forth, and it was very clear that they hadn't uh, taken the sample from the cartouche itself. However, however, uh, the accusation still persisted with the courts. So I thought, well, the only way to prove this is, uh, first of all, to, that the ministry should send people to investigate and see if the cartouche is there or not, which they did. Uh, a few weeks later, uh, to be precise, in, on the 17th of December, they sent inspectors, and the cartouche was there. I mean, <laughs> totally untouched. So I thought, well, what's this nonsense? But, but, later on, they noticed that there were four scratches on the cartouche. And again, the accusation started, yes, but uh, they didn't steal it, but they, they scratched some, some paint off it, and therefore they're accused of this criminal act. Well... I thought, well, the only way to prove this, one way or the other, is to find out pictures before the visits of the German and see how the cartouche looked like. Right. And this is where it comes in. You may have heard of him, uh, the uh, geologist Robert Schock. Yes. Uh, you know of Robert Schock, who worked with John West uh, to prove that the Sphinx was much older? Right, right. So Robert Schock, who had been in those chambers several times, uh, once in 2003 and once in 2006, I called him up. Yeah. In fact, I'm writing a book at the moment with Robert Schock, by the way. I'll, I'll, I can tell you about it in a few minutes. And uh, Schock sent me the pictures, and lo and behold, those cart scratches on the cartouche were already there in 2006. So ironically, ironically, the accusation now fell on Hawass, because he was in charge of the pyramid in 2006, and the cartouche was damaged by whom we don't know, uh, samples were taken in 2006. So, at the moment, although the Germans and all the Egyptians who had been with them in the pyramid have been sentenced to five years in jail, the Egyptians themselves, the five Egyptians, have been in jail for the last year, and the Germans uh, are, are, uh, are sentenced in absentia, they're, they're in Germany now, they're appealing, all of them are appealing, but ironically, the crime wasn't committed. The crime of, of this cartouche was, was in fact done during the time of Hawass, and here is the latest. Here is the latest. The court, who has heard all this evidence, has asked the Prosecutor General of Egypt to open a new investigation in order to find out the role of Hawass in this affair. So the ex-Minister of Antiquities, Dr. Zahi Hawass, he may, under his orders, someone may have already taken a sample, performed the carbon dating, and perhaps he already knows whether or not the well, cartouche that's what is... I think, yes. He's, the cartouche is... If it was not a forgery, certainly he would have wanted to buttress the uh, sort of uh, the orthodox explanation. He would have come out and said, no, the, court, the cartouche dates back to the time of, of uh, Khufu and it is legitimate. Otherwise... He would I'm, have kept quiet. Exactly. He would have kept quiet. Uh, well, let me tell you this, because the Germans did take the samples of the adjacent graffiti and had them tested in, uh, in Dresden at a laboratory in, in Dresden, in Germany. Uh, they also had taken samples 
from the ceiling of the king's chamber. In fact, this was their main intention. And the reason being is that those beams that I've explained earlier uh, on, the, on, the, on the ceiling of the king's chamber that formed the ceiling had black markings on the edge of each beam. And the Germans had wondered what, whether this was soot from all the explorers who had uh, lit candles and torches and whatever, or it was something else. Well, they've taken 14 samples. Let me tell you, it's a few, a few milligrams that they've taken. Uh, I've, I've actually put the photographs of these samples on, on the Internet. And they've had these tested as well. And I can tell you this, I can tell you this, that the results of their tests has proved something very, very mysterious. I cannot, I'll give you a hint, because they are going to publish these results very soon, and I leave the privilege to them to announce their discovery. But I can tell you that what it is, is going to put the whole of pyramid exploration on top of its head. Because what they found in these black markings, and I can tell you that far, they found traces of iron. And they believe that machines were actually used that were made of iron. So that completely changed our perception. Now, as far as the cartouche, they, are you still there? By yes, the no, I'm just, I'm dumbfounded. I'm trying to absorb what you just said. Are you suggesting that there was some type of machinery involved in the construction of the pyramids? Well, I'm not suggesting at the moment, but... Uh, You're hinting the at that. You're that hinting they, have, they will be publishing this, by the way, in a book that will come out, I think, in February, although they will probably have it published in scientific journals before. But the, the testing done on the black markings of the beams has shown that there was encrusted, encrusted iron within the beams. Now, for this to happen, for this to happen, you must, there, well, there must have been some iron tools or some iron machines there with a lot of pressure to, to force the iron to be encrusted within the granite. Exactly. Listen, Robert, we have to take another time out. When we come back, I want to uh, get your take on who, in fact, built the pyramids and also what may lie beneath the Sphinx. Okay. Back with more of my conversation with the author of Secret Chamber Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt, Robert Boval, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740. Robert Boval stays with us. Secret Chamber Revisited, the quest for the lost knowledge of ancient Egypt. And before I get to um, some more of my questions, I just want to share one from uh, Tony Carpento, or Carpenetto, uh, who sent an email. And Robert, well, he wants to know, why is there a, why are there exactly 97 pyramids built? Is there any significance to this number? 97 pyramids. First of all, is that correct? 97 pyramids in Egypt? There is... Uh about 97 pyramids, uh, but this is a bit like saying in New York, there are a thousand buildings thrown in with the Empire State Building. The, the, many of the pyramids are very, very small, uh, some of them a few meters high. Uh, what we're talking about here is the Great Pyramids of Giza. Right. Uh, I don't know if there is any significance to the number. There certainly is a significance to the three 
the number three in the pyramids of Giza, as you know from my uh, Orion correlation theory. Yes, yes. Now, the Orion uh, correlation theory, uh, and people need to understand, I mean, that began with you. And, and now many of us, you know, that, that um, are, are somewhat familiar, I mean, we, we sort of take that for granted, that, that there is a correlation between the constellation Orion and the positioning of, of, the, the, of the pyramids. What is the official, what has been the official response to that from the Ministry of Antiquities in Egypt? Do they even acknowledge that there is this correlation? Oh no, no, no! Uh, I've been in in a in a feud <laughs> with Doctor Zahir Was over the last uh, thirty years or so. Uh, there's been a, a rather violent response. Uh, obviously, uh, I've touched a nerve in the in the academic uh, in the academic world. Uh, the Orion correlation theory was published in '89 in in uh, an academic journal. And finally came out in a book form, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in a book called The Orion Mystery in 94. And I can tell you, uh, when the book came out, it was backed by a BBC documentary uh, shown on the date of the launch of the book. So it caused one big, big uh, sensation, uh, the result of which, <laughs> uh, to put it mildly, uh, all the academics fell on my head. Uh, it was one of those things that came totally by surprise. Nobody had... It's one of those strange things. Uh, um, I'm sure many of your listeners will agree, is that once you see it, once you see it, it's very obvious. Exactly. Just ex- take a few moments and explain what the correlation, the Orion right. correlation theory well, is. Uh, we knew, uh, it was well known before I, uh, I made this discovery, that the pyramids were aligned very precisely, astronomically, to the cardinal directions. So clearly there was something to do with astronomy. Uh, it was also known that inside the Great Pyramid were shafts shooting out from the chambers. Uh, those in the King's Chamber was, it was known, I think, since the early 60s, that one of the shafts pointed to Orion's belt. It's uh, three stars that uh, are in the center of the Orion constellation. And the reason is that the uh, pharaohs who uh, uh, were responsible for these, uh, these monuments believed that after death they would become stars or they, they, they would become spiritual entities going to the stars, particularly to the stars uh, of Orion. Uh, we know this from the so-called pyramid texts that are carved in pyramids following the Giza pyramids. As we said earlier, the Giza pyramids are devoid of inscriptions, but pyramids that immediately follow are full of inscriptions, and they speak about this, uh, this sort of rebirth ritual in the stars of Orion. So there you are, and I came along in, uh, in 1983, to be precise. Uh, I happened to be um, uh, studying astronomy at the time. I was working as an engineer in Saudi Arabia, and uh, I had just visited Cairo, and I had seen an overhead picture of the pyramids. Now, it may sound strange today because of Google Earth and all the, the wonderful things we have on, on digital and on the Internet, sure. that you can actually fly over the pyramids uh, sitting at home with your computer. But in those days, satellite pictures were extremely rare. I'm talking about the early 80s. Right, right. And uh, what I noticed is that there were two pyramids of equal size, the two great pyramids uh, that are that were aligned along a diagonal, 
uh, whereas a third pyramid, the smaller one, was offset to the left. And I was intrigued by this until I read all this material and I, I found out about the alignments of the, of the shafts. And lo and behold, this configuration on the ground looked exactly the way that the three stars of Orion's belt uh, look in the sky. Uh, furthermore, the position of the pyramids on the ground relative to the Nile were exactly the same as the position of these three stars relative to the Milky Way. And when you read the pyramid texts, which are available, by the way, online these days, it's very obvious that the Egyptians imagined the land of Egypt to be a kind of uh, replica or mirror of the sky. They believed the land was a celestial kingdom and that this area of the sky uh, near the Milky Way where there is Orion was the kind of afterworld abode of kings. Sure. So, so why it would made sense to me. Absolutely, and to, and to most of us. Why would academics and, and uh, of, um, mainstream Egyptologists be so resistant to that idea? You know, partly because I came from the outside, and partly because they are resistant to the ideas that the ancient Egyptians were clever enough to, to do this, which uh, to me is, is, has been and always been a great surprise. I mean, you're dealing with people who are capable of building monuments of that size and that accuracy. Uh, it wouldn't have been a problem for them at all to do this. So, and, and you don't need telescopes or anything like that. I mean, it's, uh, all you have to do is go outside and, and look at these stars, which, by the way, <laughs> for those who are interested, they're visible at midnight at this time of year uh, if you look directly south. And uh, what you will see in the sky is a stellar map, if you like, of what is on the grounds formed by the pyramids and the Nile. It's, it's one of those. Now, let me say, because you were going to ask me, I think, about uh, the Sphinx. Yes. Well, Later on, a few, uh, about a year later, I contacted uh, Graham Hancock. You know of Graham Hancock? Oh, yes, yes. And uh, we decided to do a book together. The reason is that uh, I, I had found out, I told Graham at the time, uh, well, the weird thing about all this is it isn't just that Orion's belt mimics, uh, or rather the pyramids mimic Orion's belt on the ground, but there is something else that in the pyramid text, the, the emphasis is that the Egyptian civilization um, or the beginning or the creation of the civilization began at a the time they called the first time. In, in, uh, in hieroglyphic language, they called it Tepzepi. It, it literally means the first time. And this is when the, the, uh, they believed the gods had come from the stars and had... Uh, initiated their civilization. So, the point was this. If the gods of the stars, and particularly this constellation of Orion, which was identified to their first uh, pharaoh, they believe their first pharaoh was an entity called Osiris, then is it possible that the stars can define this first time? And of course, the idea came, well, let's test the precession of the equinoxes. Now, right. I'm not going to go into a scientific explanation here, but... I've got to jump in here, Robert. Excuse Earth. me, Robert, I have to jump in. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and we'll pick up on that sure, point sure. when we come back. Robert Bovel, as we discuss ancient Egyptian mysteries right here on The Conspiracy Show. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. If you're just joining us, uh, alternative Egyptologist Robert Boval is uh, with us, the author of Secret Chamber Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt, and um, the man responsible for the uh, Orion Correlation Theory, and that's what we were discussing before the break, and you wanted to do, uh, to delve into the, the, the importance of the precession of the equinox and how that relates to this, Robert. Yes, uh, let me be brief here, because I want to get to the uh, possible chamber under the Sphinx, and... Uh, what might be behind those famous doors, as you may recall, that were discovered in the pyramids. Oh, yes. Uh, in, a, in, a nutshell, in a nutshell, the precession of the equinoxes is a wobble of the Earth uh, that, is, that takes 26,000 years to perform one cycle. So uh, what happens visually is that the stars appear to change position uh, in the sky, whereas it's in fact the Earth that is moving. Now, as you precess or, or, or cause the stars to go back in time. We can do this with computers. What we discovered was that when you went to the beginning of the cycle of Orion's belt, at the very same time that they match the pyramids on the ground, very precisely, looking east, there was another constellation that rose at the same time. And this was the constellation of Leo. And we knew, of course, that there was another monument on this site, the Great Sphinx, that is, of course, a, a recumbent lion with a, with, a, with a man's head, looking precisely due east at this constellation. So now we had a match with all the monuments on the ground. It, it cannot be a coincidence. It's, it's a million to one chance that it is a coincidence. So, does, that, does that not suggest then, Robert, again, thinking of the 6,000 years for the procession of the equinox, then that the Sphinx predates the pyramids of Giza by 6,000 years? Well, the years? astronomy suggests, indeed, the astronomy suggests that what we're looking at on the ground is a celestial map, if you like, uh, defining the date of 10,500 B.C. And this is what incensed all Egyptologists because they went up in arms saying, well, no, it can't be, there was nobody there, there was no civilization then, and so forth. But uh, what adds to this theory was the work of Robert Schock, which, uh, whom I mentioned earlier that I'm doing a book with him uh, this year. Robert Schock uh, found geological evidence at the Sphinx, working with uh, John West at the time, that the erosion found on the body of the Sphinx and on the enclosure walls suggested very strongly that the Sphinx was a monument that was much, much older that, than Egyptologists had, uh, had determined. So here we had two hard sciences, astronomy and geology, arguing the same thing, that we're dealing with a much, much older monument. And this is the, uh, the bête noire, if you like, <laughs> a few words in French here for your uh, French listeners, uh, of the Egyptologists. They just can't stomach it. And uh, there's been a, a debate ever since. But I'm absolutely convinced, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind at all, that we're dealing with a, uh, with a message here. There's a message that is uh, defined by the astronomy and the uh, uh, symbolic arrangement and the mathematics, by the way, that is in, uh, incorporated in this uh, design of this site. Now, let me get to the idea of whether there is or isn't a possible chamber under the Sphinx. Uh, 
I think you were going to ask me that. Yes, I was. I, I wanted to get to the, uh, you know, the, the supposed hidden hall of records from Atlantis that may, well, may be behind it. Here is the strange thing, and I'm sure your listeners, uh, many of them have heard this. There's been, uh, in the early 1930s, uh, an American uh, mystic, uh, Edgar Cayce, who in trances uh, said that uh, in 10,500 BC, amazingly the date that we find scientifically with astronomy, uh, survivors of a lost continent, he mentioned Atlantis, uh, came to Egypt with their uh, records and put them under uh, a place where today stands the Sphinx. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, being an engineer, I have a bit of trouble uh, following mystical ideas, but the scientific analysis uh, matches this prediction. So, and uh, what we've known since the early 90s with the exploration of John West and Robert Schock, uh, they've, they've explored the area with seismographs and later on another team explored with radars in the, in the, in the middle 90s. And they've detected the possibility of a large chamber somewhere under the paws of the Sphinx, precisely where Casey had said there would be. So here we are with the very strong possibility, uh, both from geological analysis, astronomical analysis, and matching this prediction of Casey, that there might be a chamber. And the only way to find out is to probe under there, uh, carefully, of course, with the with uh, minor drills uh, and uh, optical uh, fiber optic cameras to find out. And uh, permission has not been granted so far over the last 30 years. Huge, huge problem. The same thing with the pyramids. Uh, as you may remember, uh, Richard. Uh, it, hello? Yes. Yes, I'm listening. Yeah, I'll be quick here because I think we're running out of time. But uh, you may remember that in 1993, a German, again a German, Rudolf Gantebrick explored the pyramid shafts with a robotic machine yes. and found a door at the end of the southern shaft. Oh, yes. Uh, later on, uh, the National Geographic found a similar door in the northern shaft of the Queen's Chamber. These doors have not yet been opened. It's been uh, more than 20 years. The, the, other, the other thing that is most intriguing, and let me finish with this note, is that in 2010... Just before the Egyptian Revolution, there was a team of uh, explorers from the Leeds universities who managed to put a fiber optic camera behind that door that Gantebrick found in right. 1993. Right. And what they found there, let me tell you, is the most mysterious thing. They found inscriptions, again with this red ochre paint. And the inscriptions are three numbers. They gave the number a, a 1, 20, and 100. Hmm. Collectively, 121. Now, let me tell you why this is so important, because 121 is the square root of 11, 11 times 11. And we know, we've been known this for years, that the pyramid is designed by a code of, uh, of prime numbers, the main one being the number 11. Now, why prime numbers? This is the great mystery, because you would only use prime numbers if you wanted to speak to Anybody, anywhere in this cosmos, on any planet, if they exist, with prime numbers. 
because prime numbers uh, I, um, indicate an intelligent message. For example, I don't know if you remember the film Contact. Yes, yes, yes. And they, they, they identified some, some alien message by listening to a series of prime numbers. Right. Well, what this pyramid is doing in stone, if you like, is emitting a series of prime numbers. Now, I don't know why, and I don't know how, and I don't know what the purpose, but without trying to find out, we're missing the point. This, this is a message, a message from the past, a message from some lost civilization, a message from some intelligent people who were there trying desperately to memorialize it in this, uh, in this magnificent site. So, well, well, needless to say, going back to our, our earlier discussion that, that we began uh, this hour with, you, you do not believe... Uh, that King Khufu is responsible for the creation of the pyramids at Giza, uh, that the cartouche, the nameplate that supposedly identifies him as the creator, is most likely a forgery. So who do you think did build the pyramids at Giza? You know, whoever built this pyramid, I mean, I mean I'll have to say this because I, I, uh, I'll be pillared for speculating too much, but uh, I believe that the pyramids are related to a much earlier period. There is no doubt in my mind. I believe that they incorporate a message. And whoever built it was extremely intelligent. We, 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 there is no doubt about this from the design, from the size of the monument, from the complexity of the monument, and from these mathematics that are incorporated in the monument, which imply a language, a universal language. Because when you have astronomy and mathematics put together, in a monument of this kind or, or in any other uh, artifacts, you're dealing with a language. You're dealing with a language that is universal. So, in my mind, we're dealing with something, we're dealing with an epoch that uh, we've completely lost the memory of, and this is one of the, probably the only artifacts left for us to decipher. And uh, to me, it's, uh, it's been a battle that I've had with the uh, authorities for the last 30 years to allow the proper scientists to go there, people like Robert Chalk, people like astronomers, uh, architects, engineers, to be able to decipher this. So that's my take, if you like. Well, and, 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 and this is, I guess, what you're up against and, what, uh, and what's at stake here is if, as you say, the Great Pyramids prove to be the missing link uh, to our true origins, uh, if you discuss or discover something that doesn't sort of jive with the mainstream or the orthodox explanation of who we are and how we got here, then there's obviously going to be violent opposition. And, and we have these, these two uh, German uh, Egyptologists recently charged, uh, supposedly for uh, vandalizing, when they were, again, trying to upset that apple cart. And you've been doing that for your entire career. It's a, that's a tough nut to crack, Robert. Yes, and you, as you probably know as well, I mean, I'm not the only one here. There is Graham Hancock, yes, uh, Robert Chalk, uh, Thomas Brophy. There's a whole group of us who have been uh, going against the grain, if you like, and it's a rather peculiar thing because uh, there is no doubt, there is no doubt at all that we're dealing with a very unusual site there. Uh, I've lived, by the way, three years outside the Great Pyramid. Uh, I had an apartment literally opposite the Great Pyramid. And there is one thing that hits you every time you look at this monument. It shouldn't be there. It shouldn't be there because it's just the most extraordinary thing. It's too big. It's too perfect. It's too mysterious. It's too unknown. And on top of that, it's supposedly built by people who didn't have any technology at all. 
So we're dealing with the, one of the biggest mysteries on our planet, and the sad thing is that those who regard themselves as the keeper of this monument have been completely shut to the uh, investigations or allowing any other outsiders to come in and investigate properly. Well, or another way to look at it, they are the guardians of the biggest secret known to mankind, well, and uh, they take their job very seriously, and God forfend anyone should get in their way. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's one... But uh, perhaps I should do a little bit of advertising here, if you don't mind. Please do. Uh, I'm uh, joining forces with Robert Schock. Uh, Robert Schock and I have uh, been investigating monuments around the world uh, that, uh, again, uh, there are no proper explanations to their size and, and uh, precision. We were in Bulgaria a couple of months ago, and finally we decided to get together and write a book. Uh, the book has been commissioned by Inner Traditions, our uh, publishers, and will be out next year. And this time we're going to nail the last nail on this coffin about the Giza Necropolis, because let me tell you, there's been a lot, a lot more evidence that will prove once and for all that we're dealing with a very, very ancient site there. And that site has a message. Uh, so we're joining forces with geology, with astronomy, and we're consulting various uh, experts in the field to write the definitive book. There you are. Robert, uh, uh, Robert, I can't wait to have you back on along with your co-author, Mr. Shaka, to discuss that on this very program. Thank you for, uh, thank you for spending some time with us this evening, this morning. It was a pleasure again, Richard. Robert Boval, Secret Chamber Revisited, The Quest for the Lost Knowledge of Ancient Egypt. My thanks to Tim Spreen for technical production, Albert Vinzel, story producer, all of you for listening at home. Back next week with a Hollywood actress and victim of a directed energy weapon and a Wall Street insider blows the whistle. Thanks for joining us. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.